Well, we're continuing through the book of Colossians, the focus of in Christ alone, the emphasis upon uh, Christology. That's a fancy word for the theology of Jesus. And, and Colossians is that, that letter from Paul to a small church in the middle of Turkey uh, that uh, was about twenty-five or 30,000 people. The church was small, uh, but they had started going through some real struggles about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. They started adding to a lot of people uh, call Colossians Jesus Plus because that church started adding to what it mean to be meaning to be a follower of Jesus, what it meant to follow Jesus and not do do so with tradition. And so, our next sermon after this is really going to get into some strong theological meat. Um, today we're going to go through. I think it's about twelve verses, so it's quite a quite an undertaking. I think I could just do verse by verse, but it would take us a whole year to get through Colossians. So we'll move a little quicker. Um, We're going to go verse 21 all the way through verse 6 of uh, Colossians 1 and then to 2. I'll read it right now, go through all of it, and then we're just going to kind of piece it together for ourselves and understand what some of Paul's concerns were for that little church, but maybe what what God's concerns are for us as well. Colossians 1.21. Once you were alienated from God were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held in the gospel, this this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ. In you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see you how disciplined you are and how firm you are in your faith in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. That's a lot. So wish me luck. Lord, help us today. That's a lot of stuff to go through in a Sunday, and we really want to kind of know what you are desiring for us as a as individuals and us as a church. So guide us. Put on our thinking caps, Lord. Help us to understand your desire for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
95, our family moved to Odessa, Ukraine. Odessa is a city of about a million and a half people on the Black Sea in Ukraine. Um, it was a Russian-speaking city. Uh, we knew nobody there. Uh, we had other uh, missionary colleagues that were in the north, so it's about 500 kilometers. I never figured out the conversion in Europe, but 500 kilometers away. And, uh, but we were a family. Our kids were five. We moved down there. A friend of ours dropped us off, and um, we later got a car. And uh, for the first year of our time in Ukraine, we were kind of alone, didn't know anybody, didn't speak the language. We didn't have Google Maps. The former Soviet Union had a strong foundation of one-way streets, um, which made our lives very difficult. And, and we had this big, giant atlas, and everything was in Russian. Um, and, and we were full-time uh, language students. We were, we were trying to uh, homeschool or had, had, a, had some help with our kindergartners that were in the house. And they were lonely times. They were hard times. A couple of times, my wife and I sat back in that little courtyard in Odessa, and we said, what series of decisions brought us here? <laughs> like, at what point did we make such decisions? That, and maybe you've done that as well. Like, you look around your life and like, how did I get here? Like, what point did I come to this point, right? And... Uh, it was around that time that a friend of mine introduced me uh, to a book that wasn't theology. Now, if you know anything about pastors or, or even you know, seminary students, nobody, nobody reads anything but Bible and theology, Bible and theology, Bible and theology. Even now, it's, what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be a reader. If you're not a reader, it's time, right? We read, Right? And it's important for us to read. It's important for us to read the word and to study. But a friend of mine introduced me to fiction, introduced me to a writer at the time that wasn't fiction um, by, by the name of uh, Laura Hillenbrand. She wrote a book called Unbroken. Has anybody read this, watched it? It's the story of Louis Zamperini. Um, and it, it, just, it just drew me in. And in those lonely times when I was just language study, language study, language study, we had to commit our first year to nothing but language study, no ministry, um, I found that to be a great getaway. And the story of Louis was a story of diligence, of overcoming. If you haven't seen the movie Unbroken, uh, the writer, uh, Laura Hillenbrand, she is a great individual who studies the the, the life of the person before she writes. So she do, doesn't write very much. She wrote the book Seabiscuit as well. But Louis was uh, not only a marathon runner who went into the Olympics, but eventually into World War II, B-52 bomber, um, crashed in the ocean in the Pacific, spent 47 days with another colleague on a raft by themselves in the Pacific, bouncing around trying to survive, eventually picked up by the Japanese and spent two years in torture as a POW. A compelling story eventually found brought home. His story of diligence just affected me. His ability to just continue and continue and continue in the hardest times. If you're a reader, read the book. The book's better than the movie, as is usually the case. I don't read much fiction anymore. Back to sermon prep and the study, but it helped me. 
It helped me to kind of think about persevering in hard times. Paul, in the passage that we're talking about, uses the word continue twice, once at the beginning and once at the end. And, and right in the middle there, Paul models a life of continuing in the faith, but he wanted to sandwich it in so much as he was concerned about this little church that he hasn't met yet. He was concerned about them following through. He was concerned about them making it. And he was concerned about them surviving. As a pastor, you often maybe wonder what we think about. What do we talk about? We talk about you. We think about you. We pray for you. We wonder about you. See how you're doing. And one of, one of my greatest concerns, I don't want to speak for Pastor Mitch or for Pastor Mark or any of our staff members, but I'm always concerned about people disappearing. Right? Now, it's really hard these days as a pastor to know when people just don't come anymore because people have RVs. Do you know what those are? Right? People have RVs and they disappear for long periods of time, right? And, and also this thing called a cottage. You guys know what a cottage is, right? <laughs> and so you don't know if they're at their cottage or at their RV or they're visiting their kids' church or how they're doing. And then suddenly you're like, have you seen John Smith? And we haven't. And so if you wonder, nobody's called me when I missed a Sunday. Well, we don't know if you were out at the RV park or not. But just like Paul, he was really concerned, like, are you, are you going to follow through? Are, are you going to make it? And so we start with this first continue. Verse 21, we read it last week, 21 and 22. Once you were alienated, but God changed your life. God has completely changed you now. You are presented holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. And then, boom, he just hits that word that I can tell you has tripped up so many theologians. I've read so many commentaries because that first word in, in verse 23 is if. Like, whoa, what, 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 what? Because we know it's salvation by grace through faith, without works. And suddenly there's an if, there seems to be a contingency here to following Jesus and, and screech to a halt, right? If you continue in your faith, established firm, and do not move. And I really want to tell you right now, as I've been really pouring into this passage, this isn't to explain to us that we need to have works in order to be saved. It's, highlight, it's not highlighting the necessity of works for salvation. It is showing the evidence of a life change. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. You see, a transformational experience in Jesus Christ is what Paul is expressing here. It's not, oh, there was a season in my life when I prayed a prayer and nothing changed. Paul's saying, hey, a transformed life is, happens as a result of a commitment to Jesus. It's not a season of your life or a prayer I prayed. It is an ongoing, continuing process of following Jesus in our life. It's a changed life. And so this passage here is Paul saying, I want you to continue. I want you to put your hope in him. I want you to be established, firm, do not move. He uses that firm like three times in this passage. I want you to be firm. 
Stabilize yourself. Continue. Don't just be pushed around or put your focus on anything else. For, for Louis to persevere, he had to continue in a hope that someday he'd get out of that pit. Someday he'd get off of that raft. Someday there'd be something else. And he could not hope in just himself. There's a lot of things that you and I put our hope in, and they're really, really good things, right? Uh, we put our hope in our savings account, right? I, I love the Ramsey stuff. If you have never done any Dave Ramsey financial peace stuff, it's, re- it's really good stuff. And he says, have an emergency fund. All believers, all, everybody should have an emergency fund for when the furnace goes out, right? So we put our hope in the emergency fund, right? That somehow that thing is going to be there when the world goes sideways, Maybe we put our hope in our physical strength. I'm never sick. I can eat anything, right? I never get sick. Everybody else got COVID. I didn't get COVID, right? I coughed for a week, but I never got COVID. Maybe you put your hope in a job. You've been there for 30 years. It's stable. It seems to be going well, right? I, I, I'm well-liked. I, I know I'll be there until retirement. Maybe, maybe I'll put my... My, my hope and my talents and my abilities, no matter how hard it gets, I can get through. I'll make it. I can overcome. Or maybe, maybe we'll put our hope in the people around us. My spouse is always there. We lean on each other. Well, of all the things that we just talked about, which are really good things to have, I think everybody in this room can attest that those things are not necessarily things we can completely depend upon. But sometimes there are financial difficulties and there is no emergency fund. And sometimes the job that you trusted in is gone. And the person you spent your life with is no longer there. And all of the things that helped you to be diligent, to continue, to move forward, suddenly seems like you're alone and your talents, and your wherewithal, and your strength just doesn't seem like enough. Paul says, continue. Continue in the faith. Continue in your abilities. Move forward. Keep going on. I sat in the basement of a, of a missionary's house just after that first year, and there was a guy who had been a missionary for years all over the former Soviet Union. He'd already put 20-some years in. And he and I were sitting down there drinking coffee as our kids were playing, and uh, he just kind of leans over to me. He says, hey, do you want to know the secret to, to longevity, the secret to tenure in missions? you want to know the secret to staying a long time? Tell me, tell me. He said, don't leave. (laughs) Jerk. (laughs) But he's right, isn't he? Like, there were a lot of hard times. My wife and I, I've told you guys this, we called it Expedia days, right? Where we're like, let's check the price, right? Let's Let's just check what would it take to get on the plane today? Right? But my wife and I decided that we couldn't both have Expedia days on the same day because one of us had to talk the other person down, right? We'd get up in the morning and she'd be like, it's my day. I'm like, okay, all right. The good thing is as hard as it gets, Paul or Jesus, Jesus is there for us. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 
he will also, here's that word again, keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's helping us make it. He's helping us continue. He's helping us to move forward. I don't know about you, but I need his help. I, I just touched on maybe some of the things we lean on in just a moment, our jobs, our money, our, our relationships, our talents, all those kinds of things. But there are other things that come in to try to sabotage all of it. Right? Doubt. Anxiety and fear. Pain. Loss of relationship. Conflict. All of that stuff comes in. Paul says, Jesus is trying to help you stay firm. Jesus is trying to keep you stabilized. Paul models then for us, in the beginning with verse 24, a life of continuing in the faith, a life of not giving up. He tries to really focus to us that we need to make what is important to Christ important to us as we stand firm in him. First, Paul talks about personal sacrifice. Second, a commitment to God's word. Third, to be aware of opportunities around us even when things are hard. And four, to really live a life of investing in others. So first, let's look at that personal sacrifice, verse 24 and 25. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I don't understand this. I think I experienced it. I think you and I have experienced it. But Paul says, I actually find joy in the hard times. Somehow I'm relating to the hard times Jesus had, and I feel connected with him in following through with what he already did. He says, in those hard times, in the difficult times, he says, I have become a servant by the commission of God to present the word of God in its fullness. I'm like really committed to the fact that I, no matter how hard it gets, I'm going to suffer for this thing. I'm going to suffer for what God has asked me to do and somehow recognize that in it, I'm relating to what Jesus had to go through. There are other places in the world that what it means to be a follower of Jesus is much harder than what we experience. We have been blessed, I guess we could call it, for the opportunity to believe and to worship as we choose in this country. Not every place has that. Sacrifice looks different for different people. Paul was saying, continuing your faith is not easy, but he decided to rejoice in the difficulty rather than complain or give up. Is it hard? Yeah. It should be. Living for your faith and living in this world should be hard. Personal sacrifice is part of modeling, continuing, keeping moving forward. Second, Paul really emphasizes a commitment to God's word. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering. This is what he said. 
Verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present the word of God in its fullness. What what he really passionate about was trying to communicate the message of the good news, the word of God to the people so that they could integrate it into their life, their heart, their thinking, and the application in this world. Now, imagine this is first century stuff. Like, we don't experience the... We don't, the printing press until late 1500s, early 1600s, right? So the reproduction of Bibles isn't there. So they have some scrolls that are available through some of the temples, but for the most part, it's memorized scripture, right? So when Paul is bringing and communicating the gospel, it's word of mouth stuff. And so a lot of times we have public readings. And so what church was for them, right, in the early time was for someone to stand up and just like, read four books of the Bible, and everybody just sat there and listened, right? Just to take it in, just, just to absorb it, just to have it present. It was so important, so vital that they had the Word of God available. Do you know how available we have it? Holy cow, huh? Like, what, what is on this thing? Like, any, anything you want from the Word of Bible, Bible app, if you haven't done the Version app, please download it. It's great. U version app, you can read you can read it in just about any language it's available on the U version app if you speak it. But I really encourage you, like I like my I like my phone, it's great. I use it quite a bit. Even on a Sunday, I forget to bring my Bible in. I use my phone and I you have a Bible. If you haven't bought a Bible, please buy a Bible. Am I old? Doris, am I old saying that? No. I'm gonna be old for a minute. Buy a physical Bible. Make it your own. If you want to know about translations like from, from the original language into English, there's a bunch of them. Like NIV, I, I, I memorized NIV, so it's just hard to get away from it, right? But ESV, English Standard Version, is good. I talked to somebody who introduced me to a new translation today. Where are you, Mike? Right, Mike? Yeah, new translation I've never seen before. It was really interesting. Get a Bible. And spend some time in it any day, please, every single day. Allow the word of God to permeate us. I've said it probably a million times from behind the pulpit. I'll say it one more time. If the word of God you're receiving is from us on a Sunday morning, it's altogether insufficient for your personal growth. I don't care how much we're into this thing. I don't care how much we're good preachers or bad preachers or how much we read the whole thing. It's not enough for you. So you're saying, why am I struggling? Paul's saying the word of God's really important. So spend a little time in it. Well, I don't even know where to start. Good, welcome. Start in John. I like John. John's a good one. First chapter's a little confusing, but keep moving forward. Right? There's nothing that will increase your personal growth in Jesus Christ. Nothing that will give you firm stability in your faith like reading the Bible. And if you're like, I'm drifting, I can't make it, I'm alone, I I can't do it, read your Bible. You're like, well, I really like this preacher, and so that's good. I'm glad you like that preacher. Listen to those podcasts, like that's really good. I, I listen to them too. Read your Bible. Listen to the Word, listen to the Holy Spirit, add in. Paul's like, I'm worried for you that you're not going to continue, that you're going to drift. I want you to stand firm. So what I want you to do is suffer a little bit, realize it's going to be hard, but get into the Word.
Next, there was an awareness of opportunity. He talks about the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Think about history, at least the written history in Scripture. And we can all talk about how long it was between, you know, Malachi and Genesis. What was the actual, like, Genesis chapter 1? Or what was the distance of time from Genesis chapter 1 verse 7? We can go round and round about that. Let's just set that aside for a minute, right? But for all of that time, they had shadows and whispers of the Messiah. There's someone coming. It's going to change everything. It was in the writings. It's in every book of the Old Testament. There's going to be someone's coming. The Messiah is going to change everything. From the day that sin was created, right, where sin was brought in by Adam and Eve, God said, there's going to be a day when everything changes. And for all that time, it was just a shadow. It was a whisper. It was gossip. When is it going to come? Is he going to come? And actually, there's a good portion of the world today that is still wondering if he's coming. Well, he has. Jesus, the Messiah, the mystery of all history was revealed in Jesus, and we have him today. And Paul's saying, take the opportunity. Be aware of the opportunity that's in front of us right now to tell everyone about this great message. You were born at a special time. We have access to the truth. Everybody was looking for, waiting for. We have access to it. It's right in front of us. And yet, somehow we keep it to ourselves. Right? I grew up in Sunday school. How many of you went to Sunday school? Raise your hand up. Proud Sunday school people. Come on. Right? Right? How many, this little light of mine? Anybody? Oh, okay. Sunday school people. Any of you remember this? You want to sing it for me? You just expressed how old you are. <laughs> Hide it under a bushel. No. Like, Scripture tells us that we're supposed to shine, we're supposed to be salt and light to this world. This is the opportunity. Don't keep it to yourself. And tell everybody, who cares what people think? Who really cares what people think? Please don't. We all do. But please don't. Right? Tell this important thing. Life transformative and eternally Essential. So Paul says there's going to be what it means to continue a personal sacrifice, a commitment to God's word, an awareness of opportunity to communicate to others. He said for himself it was to the Gentiles. But then he talks about investing in others. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everybody with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Hello, this is what we do. If you don't come on Wednesday night, please come on Wednesday night. You think I get home late, come in anyhow. I, I didn't have anything to eat. Culver's is right there. I know they're a little slow sometimes, but Culver's is right there. Go in, it's a little faster than doing the drive through sometimes. Come at 6.30 and be in the Word and be in relationships 
So that we may be mature, so that we may grow up to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ so powerfully working in me. What does he contend for? He wants us to be mature. He wants the church in Colossae to grow up. Verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, that they may have the full riches of complete wisdom or complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And I want to just focus on those three really quick before we end here. Encouraged in heart, united in love, complete in understanding. Look, look, Look at the beauty of those three. Encouraged in heart. Paul is saying that to be mature in Christ, there is an emotional component to it. There's an emotional component to our walk in the Lord. Now, some of us are a little less emotional than others. How many of you know people who are really emotional? All right? All these bold people. Yeah, I know them. How many of you are really emotional? Raise your hand. All right, welcome. There's an emotional component to our faith. Have you ever noticed that some people get a little bit more excited in worship than other people? That's okay. Have you ever noticed that some people, something goes a little wrong in their life and everything is destroyed? And you're like, that was Monday. (laughs) Right? Each of us has a different, you know, wherewithal within our emotional components, and that's fine. Like, everyone's accepted here. But to realize your faith, your walk, what it means to be mature, mature in Christ is it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to cry. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to occasionally be lonely. It's okay to be occasionally celebrating. It's okay to mourn. Grief is real. Conflict is real. It's okay to be emotional. Redirecting those emotions constantly back. I want you to be encouraged in your heart. Now, uh, let me give you just some... um, what we try to do on a Sunday. We try really hard to encourage each other. If you're not doing it, join the group, right? When people come in, did you notice that there's people sitting at the doors that are on a schedule and their job is to encourage you as you come in? Hey, how you doing? Right? I saw saw, um, Brad McConaughey was at one door. I saw Mark. Where's Mark? Mark Schultz was at another door today, right? Encouraging people as they come in. There are people making coffee. Bob and Barb make coffee today. Why? Because... A little liquid stimulant in the morning isn't a bad thing, right? It's like, help us all along. We try to encourage each other. And if you think, you know, I don't know if I feel encouraged at church. Well, don't walk out the door once service is over. Like, I really just don't, I don't connect with anybody. Well, if, in your par- if you're in the parking lot before I'm done praying... Some of you are laughing because you're like, yeah. Give us a chance. Grab a cup of coffee, walk around a little bit. Encourage somebody and see that they may encourage you back. So we see the emotional component, and he wants us to be united in love. There's a relational component to our stability. You might be, you might be like that person who is an extrovert. That's great. Introvert, that's great. Be relational. Find a way. 
Come Wednesday night to, to one of our classes. You'll meet people. You'll connect with people. Stick around a little bit afterwards. You'll meet people. You'll connect with people. Ask people to Culver's afterwards. You'll have to wait a long time, but you'll meet people and you'll talk to people. <laughs> Finally, complete an understanding. I would hate to be a church that is emotional and relational and doesn't use our mind. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are emotionally driven and you are relationally driven and you don't use your mind, you are weak. That's why I said believers should be readers. In the word, in the book, reading culture, reading news, studying, asking questions. What about this? What about this? What about this? My goal as a pastor is to get done on a Sunday morning and have five people come to me afterwards and say, Pastor Paul, you said this. What did you really mean by this? The scripture says this. What does it really mean? I love that. I want to be ready for that. Like, please ask me questions. That means we're using our brains. So Paul's saying, use the emotional component, the relational component, the intellectual component, right? We need to be firmly stable in our faith. He says, I'm worried about you continuing. Verse 4, and this is where it gets a little meaty for us. It's, it's introducing something for our next sermon. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. Sometimes people disappear from our community for other good churches. By the way, if you haven't heard it from other churches, I'm just going to say it right now. There are really good churches within stone's throw of this one. I was talking to somebody just the other day that goes to St. Paul Lutheran. They're doing the same women's book study that we're doing. They think they, lo- they love it. It's great. Like, there's great churches all around. We just, we're ours, right? We're the, we're, I don't want to say the best, but close to it. <laughs> but people disappear from that church and any other church because they're deceived. By any number of things, they drift away. They drift away for all kinds of fences, getting bitter, or maybe because I'm just tired, or I don't really like what this person said, or the worship isn't really what I like, or, you know, I don't know. I was, a friend of mine was guest speaking at a church I'd never been to, and so yesterday I wanted to kind of listen to a little bit of his message, uh, and uh, and so I went on to the the. Google, I always go through Google Maps to find the church, and then I go to their website, and I can, I can look there. And, and as I was doing that, I looked on the website, or on the Google Maps, and they had, had people who had raided the church. I don't know who raids churches. <laughs> like, yeah, it was a three, but I couldn't really dance to it. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> but this one lady did, like, like, essay, right? It was one star. So I'm like, oh, let's check out the one star, right? <laughs> And, and literally, like the pastor, the pastor said something insensitive before the service as he was walking up to the platform. And I, I know he shouldn't have said it. Um, but at that point, she was done. Like, done with the church, done with her faith, her family's done. She walked away. And I just went, oh, my heart just sunk. Like, ugh. Like, first of all, Dude, like, be sensitive, like the pastor. Come on, be wise. But also, we know 
Proverbs, I wrote it down somewhere, 10.9 says, where there are many words, sin is present. We say a lot on a Sunday. Like, you stick around long enough, I'm going to say something stupid. <laughs> Some of you are like, you already did. <laughs> stick around anyhow. Like, come on. We should be... Like, there's going to be things that happen that try to derail our faith. And probably the one more than anything is relational stuff, right? Like, we got to disagree well. We got to oversee each other's faults and our struggles and say, you know what? This is so much more important. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you. He's saying, I really want you to be stable, firm, strong in your faith. Continue on because people are going to try to trick you, whether you know they're tricking you or not. People are going to try to derail you, make it hard for you. And then the second continues comes on. Verse 6, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted built up in him, strengthened in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. That sandwich is there. I really want you to continue. I want there to be an expression of stability in your life. And he talked about what does it look like to doing that? He talked about, you know, telling other people about it. He talked about going through hard times. He talked about being in the word and being relational. He says, Don't give up, don't give up, continue. Because there are individuals that are going to try to derail your faith. Do you know that you can't watch the news without someone trying to derail your faith? I can give you some channels that are better at it than others. There's always something to derail our faith. Don't let it. Stay firm. Use your brain. Get in the Word. Stabilize your thinking. Just as you received Christ Jesus, Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to take a few moments, and we're going to join together in the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. We'll be reading from that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as Paul recounts that great day. But in Galatians 6, 9 first, let us not become weary in doing good. How many of you ever felt weary? Mondays are weary days for me. Mondays are weary days for me. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you're not a Monday person like me tired on Monday. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I look around the room and I think I've met everybody here. Maybe one or two I haven't met before. Maybe a few of you have only had passing conversations I think I find myself praying for you 
We're on this area of not giving up. Do you have a good reason to give up? Probably not. But it may feel like you do. Feel like you have an argument. Give up your faith. Give up your situation. Cocoon. Do you guys know what it means to cocoon? It's a sociological term that means you pull the shades you turn on your computer or your TV and you socialize with no one and nothing and sometimes you feel like that's the best thing for you to do for your life. Just close the doors. Pull the shades. Let the blue hum of the TV lull us into sleepy slumber. Just live our lives in nothingness. You may think that that's the best thing for you to do. It's not. Don't cocoon. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. And doing good for at just the right time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Today, as we read our passage, verse 26, before we read the rest of it. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What does that denote? A waiting. It's a continuing. If you have not participated in communion together, we usually do it once or twice a month here. Scripture just says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. You may come from a church tradition that does it every single service or every single Sunday. You are welcome to join us. We practice here today open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member or have gone through a class. We do ask that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you understand that to be true for your life, you're welcome to join with us. If you walked in the door, you didn't grab one of these fancy little cups, but you'd like one right now. If you just raise your hand, our ushers are going to make sure you get one. Does somebody miss any today? Anybody need one? Raise your hand. There's nothing wrong. Oh, look at that. Steve did a great job getting everybody these. Thank you, Steve. If you'll pull back that clear part. It'll expose the wafer, the bread, the symbol of the body of Christ. And then the purple one just kind of peels back and will expose the juice that is the symbol of the blood of Christ. Today, as we reflect upon the body and the blood of Christ, as we do this, I ask you as we look at the word of God today to use this moment as a recommitment to him. As we remember his death, we remember his broken body and his blood, we remember that he rose again for new life for all of us, eternal life for all of us. Make this a moment that says, I'm a recommitting today to not give up. And I am committing to follow you. There was a season that I followed you strong, but maybe that's gone right now. I'm recommitting today to fully embrace you in my life. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would hold the bread, we're going to pray together. 
moment of silence, recognize the sacrifice of Christ, Heavenly Father. In these moments of reading your word today and reflections, we saw that Paul was so concerned about his church that he was pastoring and he was caring for. These individuals who have been, been weary and that he was so encouraging to them to follow completely with all of their lives. He modeled it for them too. But Lord, today we remember your sacrifice on the cross in so much as even the breaking of your body, the breaking of the bread. That today we remember your sacrifice that was there for us. And today we remember, we commemorate, and we commit to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's take of the bread together. Verse 25, 1 Corinthians 11, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a moment of recommitment, if you just pull back that purple side there, hold it together as we pray again. Gracious Heavenly Father, we recall the blood that was shed on our behalf from Jesus that came and as we read today, allows us today to stand holy, unblemished, clean, even so much as, Heavenly Father, you don't even remember our sins. They're cast as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. And as hard as it is, Lord, to rejoice in suffering, as hard as it is to stay diligent in our faith, as hard as it is to follow you with great passion sometimes, we know that your blood is there, always covering us, giving us a hope beyond this life. That someday there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more death. No more sickness. All in you. And so we remember you today. Remember your blood. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Take of the cup together. you haven't maybe experienced this or thought about it in a while, if I could summarize these 12 verses for you right now, it's that God sees you. He doesn't want you to give up. God sees you. Stay diligent. If you'd stand with me, we're going to close in a word of prayer. And as we pray, as soon as we're done, Pastor Mitch is going to sing a song with the worship team. Uh, We're going to ask 
Murray's to come. They're going to come and they're going to uh, be praying with you in just a moment as well. I'll be here. Remember that relational component? Scripture says that we should pray one for another. So if you need somebody to pray with you, find somebody to pray with you. If there's somebody around you that's a friend, you can say, can we pray together for a moment? Do that. That's why we try to keep this room, this kind of quiet room. That's a great place to laugh and talk and do the relational stuff. Also, I'll be up front to pray with you. Murray's are going to be here to pray with you as well. We've got something. We need healing, Scripture says. That's our job to pray for healing. Just hope for it, trust for it, believe in it. If you need somebody to just encourage you today, we'd love to do that too. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. These guys are going to sing. I encourage you, stick around and worship for a little while. When you feel like it's time for you to leave, please slip out quietly. You're welcome to slip out anytime. But consider this to be the end of our service. You just say, I'm really glad I see your face today. Really glad that you're here. We love you. We love you guys. Heavenly Father, go with us today. Maybe today, this was a day that a few of us were encouraged that you do see us, that you care about us, that we can persevere. Like Louis Zamperini in that raft or in that POW camp was just fought, persevered. Lord, help us rejoice in suffering, as Paul said. Become a servant to this lifestyle. To find in you a stable life, firm in the new life you've given us. Lord, go with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Portview. Have a wonderful day. You're welcome to worship with us.